Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode of Switchcraft is brought to you by Abigail13 and patrons just like you. For more information on how to support Switchcraft and my other content, check out patreon.com slash runjumpstomp. Do you guys like stories? I like stories. Here's a story for you, more of a public service announcement. Make sure that when you, if, let's say, let's imagine, imagine that you have a case for your Nintendo Switch. And it's not like a hard shell case, but it's also not soft shell. So kind of in the middle. It, it has a little give to it. Well, let's say that you're putting your Switch in the soft shell. If it doesn't quite close all the way, because maybe you've got too much crap in there, like I had my Switch, a couple of games, um, my Joy-Con straps, I guess. Um, I had a microfiber cloth to clean off the screen with. And I also had a, a, a USB-C charging wire. Now, you wouldn't think that that'd be too much stuff. But it turns out that when I open and close the Switch case, some of the stuff had piled up on one side. And I was kind of in a rush that morning. And I closed the, the case... And I zipped it closed, and it didn't zip as easy as it usually does. You know, think about luggage that's packed just a little too full. I didn't really think about it. I was like, well, it's zipped. I threw it in my bag and moved on. I worked all day. Uh, didn't even touch the switch. I had. I, I was way too busy. Um, and at the end of the day, I was putting some stuff back in my backpack, and I opened up my backpack, and it was, like, hot in there. And I was like, what the hell? And I opened it up, and there was, an like, my... Um, switch was on and it had like a black screen and an error code which I haven't looked up yet that's not really important what's important is that it was like boiling hot the screen protector that I have had started to come off a little bit not much but just a little bit and so what I believe happened is when I closed my case I depressed one of the sticks maybe and that turned on the switch and there it sat on all day with something pushing against the stick and it got hot very hot i am a science teacher so of course i have an infrared thermometer nearby where i can easily grab it and pull a trigger and get the temperature almost instantaneously and the temperature of the switch had climbed all the way to a blistering, I'm pausing for effect also so that I can bring up the picture of uh, that I took um, of the thermometer, to 102 degrees Fahrenheit. 102. Why is my thermometer on Fahrenheit instead of Celsius? I don't know. But 102 degrees Fahrenheit, which is kind of not cool. I mean, that's pretty hot. And it was cooked pretty good. And, well, 
interesting thing is that the battery said that it was still at 12% after I shut it down and turned it back on. It said I had 12% battery remaining after sitting in my in my backpack on at a high temperature all day long. So anyway, uh, just a little bit of information for you. Be careful and make sure that you are not like activating your switch inadvertently in an enclosed space. Now, some people might be like, oh, my God, the switch is overheating. Call the fire department. No, no. Any kind of electronics that gets turned on inside an enclosed space is going to generate a lot of heat. This was my fault. I'm dumb. That's all. You know what I find really surprising? Is that Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is one of the fastest selling Mario Kart games ever. That's pretty crazy considering it is basically a remake, not even a remake, just a straight up port of a game that we've already had. Now, I assumed that a very good portion of people who bought the Switch at launch are people who also had the Wii U, the Wii U, maybe not at launch, but people who already had the Wii U. And the attach rate for Mario Kart 8 on the Wii U was really high. Like crazy sales numbers considering that there were only 13 million Wii U's out there. Well, in the U.S., Mario Kart 8 Deluxe sold 459,000 copies on launch day. That's the fastest-selling Mario Kart game in the history of the franchise, which is pretty crazy. That's only on launch day. That's not counting the rest of the days afterwards. Uh, The previous record holder for the highest first-day sales was Mario Kart Wii, with U.S. sales of approximately 433,900. That was launched back in 2008. Those numbers um, for Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is an attach rate of 45%. Almost, almost, if you, you went down the street and you found two people that had a Switch, one of them probably has Mario Kart. That's pretty good. And my guess is that the other people will probably be picking it up too. So this is really good for Nintendo. This is really good for people who want to play Mario Kart online. And I think that it's all overall just really good news for uh, fans of Nintendo. Now, there's a little bit more about Mario Kart that I want to go into. And that's real quick is that Mario Kart 8 Deluxe fixed a... It's not a bug. It's, it's the way that they originally had done the stats for the cars. Uh, in Mario Kart 8 on the Wii U, they made it so when you are changing, because in the game you pick a character, then you pick a cart, then you pick the wheels, then you pick the uh, the glider. And with those four things, uh, you're bouncing around some stats. And so you can narrow down the stats that you like for your driving style, which is really cool. Now, the way that it worked is that acceleration would always be rounded down to the nearest, we'll say, whole number. So if you got uh, an acceleration that was kind of halfway between two lines on the bar graph that is shown when you push the plus button in the character select screen, then it would always round that down. And so it made it that certain stuff wouldn't get used very much which is kind of a problem. Well, they got rid of that. 
and I think it's great that they get got rid of it. So now when you're looking at the stats of a car, it actually means what it says. And I think that's great. So no longer is a 2.5 rating of acceleration going to get rounded down. It's going to stay as it is. And I think that that's awesome. And man, Mario Kart 8 is fantastic. I've been playing it on 200cc, and I've actually gotten half of the uh, gold trophies that I need to unlock uh, gold Mario. We'll see if I can get the rest. I'll tell you what, the dragon level, I can't remember what the name of it is, but the dragon level on 200cc, very narrow, not a whole lot of room to move. You really got to hit the brakes when you are drifting in that game. And by the way, that change to the game where you can hit the brakes during a drift, that completely changes 200cc and really makes it fun. If you haven't tried 200cc or if you only tried it on the Wii U version, definitely give it a try on the Switch version because it's awesome. Wow, 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 wow. Now we've got a little bit of new news from uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild. Apparently the DLC Pack 1 has been detailed. It's going to include hard mode, trials, different gear, and uh, custom fast travel save point, and a, a new mode called Hero's Path. Or not a new mode, but a new function called Hero's Path. Path. So let's go through everything. Uh, let's start with trial by the... Well, first off, let's start with the update that actually is already out. And that's that players can now experience the game in one of nine audio languages. So you can switch over the voice acting to Japanese, English, French, um, French again. Oh, France, France, French, and Canadian French. German, Spanish from Spain, and Spanish from Latin America. Italian and Russian. Uh, so you can... All, you can have the audio be one language while reading the subtitles in another language. And that's really cool. Uh, a lot of people ask for that. And I think it's good that they're offering it. It doesn't really take much to offer that. So I think it's great. Um, Trial by the Sword. It says that when you get to a certain sacred location, you can take on a new Trial, by the, trial of the Sword uh, challenge. And it says face an onslaught of enemies one wave after another... Link starts the challenge without any equipment or weapons. When all of the enemies in the room are defeated, Link proceeds to the next. Clear the trials, which is about 45 in all, and the true power of a certain item will awaken. I'm not going to say what it is because maybe you don't want spoilers. Uh, the next thing is called Hero's Path Mode, which is really cool. It says this new feature shows the path Link has walked through, High, through Hyrule, for the last 200 hours of gameplay, that's pretty crazy, use the time tracker bar to see where you spent the most time and where you have yet to explore. That's really awesome because I know that one of the things that I've done is I load the game up and then I just kind of look at the map. You know, it's like I've already beat the game, so I, I, I don't have a clear goal in mind. In mind. So it'd be nice to see where have I spent the most time and where are places that I haven't really uh, spent a whole lot of time hanging out, and then I can go there. Um, maybe you'll find a shrine or two uh, on the road less traveled, you know? Um, I think this is awesome. My my one question is, is this retroactive? So let's say I've already put 100 hours into the game. If When, when the DLC comes out, is it going to show me what I did before the DLC came out. If it does, that's awesome. 
If it doesn't, that's really kind of disappointing. And I know that I know it's perfectly reasonable for it not to be able to, like maybe it's not tracking this information now. Um, but it would just be really cool if it did. I'd hate to have to start over. Although I am going to start over and this is not something that I thought I would ever say. Uh, but the game is so compelling that I think I'm going to go back and play the hard mode and the hard mode is the next thing uh, on the list. It says in hard mode, Enemies gradually regain health, so take them out as quickly as possible. All enemies are powered up by one level. For example, a red bokoblin in normal mode are now blue bokoblins. Enemies can now have higher maximum levels than they would in normal mode. Also, look up and you may find enemies and treasure chests in the sky. <laughs> Sounds so cool. Um, the game was already pretty hard. Can you imagine fighting a Lionel in this, uh, hard mode where he regenerates? I, I fought a Lionel. I, I swear to God, the fight was like 10 minutes long. It was, it was longer. Uh, it was a really long fight and I cannot imagine fighting a Lionel where his health is regenerating. It's gotta be rough, but really cool. And I'm glad that they're adding it and the game is good enough that I'm probably going to go back and do it again. Uh, the travel medallion, somewhere in the world there is a chest with a travel medallion inside. When you use this, you can register your current location as a fast travel point on the map. You can only register one location using the travel medallion. So this is awesome. You know, you find this thing, and then you go out about your day, and then somebody says, hey, I want a, I want to see a soldier's broadsword. Like there's a quest out there where somebody wants to see a bunch of weapons. So you're like, all right, I'm going to set this as my fast travel location. I'm going to go out, find one. As soon as I find one, I'm going to teleport right back here and turn it in. And then maybe they'll be like, all right, now I need to see this thing. And now I need to see that thing. And you keep ping-ponging back and forth. And that that sounds like a really uh, good way to get stuff done. Um, a way to make the game just a little easier, especially since we're going on that hard mode. Uh, then they said that there's more armor. Uh, there are eight treasure chests place, uh, placed around Hyrule containing armor themed after previous Legend of Zelda titles. Watch for tips as to the whereabouts of these chests as you travel around Hyrule. I love that they're being so, like, they're, they're not telling us anything. They're not giving us anything. They're just saying, hey, we put stuff in the world. Go find it. That's really cool. Now, if you don't want any spoilers, don't worry. I'm not going to tell you anything. But if you want to see these um, these uh, uh, outfits or the, this gear, uh, just check out the show notes. There's a link in there to a uh, both to a, a Reddit post which translated all the Japanese and then the original Japanese as well. Um, but these these gear sets look really cool, especially uh, the third one down looks amazing. I'm really excited to see that one. And then the last one that they show in the picture looks like it might be one of the most useful items in the game. So, you know, if you're, if you don't want this spoilers, then just don't click on the show notes. Um, but if you do, then click on the link in the show notes and it'll take you there so you can check it out. Are you guys going to get the Zelda DLC or have you already gotten it? Or are you holding off to see what people think? Let me know. 
speaking of DLC, uh, we've got a new Fire Emblem game coming to the 3DS and uh, 2DS XL. And it has a $45 season pass, which includes a bunch of stuff. Uh, Here's how Nintendo is describing all of the different stuff. So first off, DLC Pack 1 is the Fledgling Warriors Pack. This comes out on May 19th. It would cost $7.99 or convert that to your uh, currency. It contains three pieces of new content, uh, and it is kind of built with the idea of you being in the early to mid-game. So it's not like you want to have this stuff done uh, or, or finish the game first and then come up with the DLC afterwards. This is built with with the idea that you have it while you're playing the game in mind. DLC Pack 2 comes out May 25th. Man, th- th- these are close together. And it's called the Un- Undaunted Heroes Pack. Uh, co- also, co- Well, no, this one costs $9.99. It contains three pieces of content, include in addition to a new dungeon. If you didn't know, um, Fire Emblem Echoes has like this uh, this dungeon mechanic, which isn't really in the other Fire Emblem games. Uh, anyway, the new dungeon is called the Inner Sanctum. Uh, this pack also includes two challenging new maps that stronger, more seasoned heroes are going to want to tackle. So this is probably something you're not going to want to do early game or mid game. You're going to want to wait until later. DLC pack number three, the Lost Altars pack, also comes out on May 25th. This is $14.99. It contains 10 pieces of content. Uh, It says the mysterious dungeons included in this pack hold the power to upgrade characters to exclusive classes that don't appear in the main game. Man, they've got a racket going on here. Um, then there's DLC pack four, Rise of the Deliverance pack, cue the banjos. Uh, that one comes out on June 1st and is $12.99. It says that it has four pieces of content, and the, uh, the, the quote is that it discover the previously untold history of Valentia in this prologue pack. So this is like a prequel, uh, complete with new story content and additional voice acting uh, that details the rise of Deliverance in Zofia. This collection of challenging maps includes new support conversations between selected heroes, as well as the ability to take command of a character players won't be able to control in the main game. Then we're on to DLC pack number five. My God, there's a lot of DLC. Uh, That is $6 or $5.99. It has two pieces of content, and they said more information about the final DLC pack will be uh, unveiled at a later time. So I am kind of done with Fire Emblem and not because I don't like the Fire Emblem games. It's because I haven't finished the two Fire Emblem games that I have. I have Fire Emblem Awakening and I have Fire Emblem Fates. I can't remember which one. The one where you choose to go with your quote unquote new family. Um, And I haven't finished either of them and not because they're not good games, but just because... I got distracted. It, if I could stream them, like I probably would focus more on Fire Emblem. I really like the games, but because I can't stream them, I, I get distracted by things that I can stream. Um, streaming is a big part of my gaming, what I do when I game. Uh, single the, the whole reason that I started streaming on Twitch was because I wanted to make single-player games into multiplayer games. So I would play a single player game and I would be able to have conversations with people while I'm playing it. 
And that is like because I played MMOs or massively multiplayer games for so long that you're constantly having conversations with people. In fact, we would always be on voice and uh, playing together. And I stopped playing single player games for a really long time. I've totally gone off on a tangent, and I'm I'm sorry about that. I'll just finish this thought, and then we'll be back to Fire Emblem. So I decided if I'm streaming on Twitch, then I can talk to people like I did when I was playing MMOs, but I can play a single-player game. And it adds a level of interaction and socialness that I really like when playing a single-player game. Now, because I can't stream off off of my 3DS, and I know that there are kits that you can get I don't have the technical aptitude, and they're very expensive to have somebody else do, and you have to send them off. That's why I just don't play the Fire Emblem games. I really am excited for Fire Emblem on the Switch, and I think that when that comes out, I'm going to get sucked in really, really quick, because the Fire Emblem games are very compelling content, and they're infinitely replayable, I think. Even if you're not worried about the story, just just uh, random fights are really fun. And I'm looking forward to seeing how it looks on that on, on the nicer screen. Because all of the Fire Emblem that I've ever played has been on the 240p screen of the DS. I'm a number one! Man, today just seems like it must be DLC City. Um, Blaster Master 1.2 has been announced. It's going to have a hard mode, which is cool. Game's pretty hard as is, but I like it. Uh, and it also is going to have DLC characters for purchase. It's going to have a couple of them. If you want more details on it, just click the link in the show notes. It looks really cool. Um, they are bringing in characters from other games, the Aztec Gundam, Gundam, I can't remember what it's called, um, but they all they have their own special abilities as you're playing the game and it 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 totally changes the way that you play blaster master and i'm very interested to see how that works now you got to pay for these characters so you're not getting them automatically but i think the hard mode is for free which is really cool so real quick i just wanted to let you guys know that i have i had a review copy of tumble seed which is a game where you are controlling a seed. He is, or she, I'm not, I'm not assuming gender. Uh, Tumble Seed is on a vine, and you move the vine, the, the left side of the vine up with your left joystick, and the right side of the vine up and down with your right joystick. Oh, I think I screwed that up, but left, left, right, right. Uh, and so basically you are controlling the angle of the vine, and then tumble seed rolls back and forth. Uh, I won't get into the whole like everything about it, but I had a review copy. And if you want to check out the review, just head on over to runjumpstomp.com, and you can find my tumble seed review probably right there on the front page. Uh, let me know what you think about it. Also, you can check out roguesportal.com because the only reason that I got this copy was because Rogues Portal asked me to write the review for them. So you can head on over there and check out check it out on that site as well. Special thanks to Rogue's Portal for hooking me up with the review copy. You get a low score for this game. That's it for gameplay for today. I'm going to cut that short because I was able to get an interview with Sam Dyer of Bitmap Books. He's currently working on producing a book all about the Super Nintendo, and he he has other books 
that he's already made. And you can find out more information about Sam and his books at bitmapbooks.co.uk. Anyway, so here is the interview, and I will see you guys next time. What's it like to play the Nintendo Entertainment System? All right, everybody, I am joined by Sam Dyer of Bitmap Books, and he is currently in the middle of uh, Kickstarter, which he has decided that he could come talk to us about, which is really exciting. Uh, So, Sam, thank you so much for coming on the show. That's okay. Uh, Where, uh, not where, uh, what can you tell me about, uh, tell us about Bitmap Books? Well, Bitmap Books, I started it in 2014, and it really was a sort of coming together of my two biggest passions, really, which is graphic design and retro gaming. And I really wanted to make a book, or design a book in particular, on the Commodore 64 at the time, which was my first ever computer. And I made I made this book um, and spent a long time designing it, and really bitmap books just sort of snowballed from there really uh the book was really popular um and then we sort of moved on to different systems over the last few years so we've covered for instance uh, we've done books on the commodore amiga the zx spectrum which was a very uk sort of computer but it was massive over here um and we've also covered the nes and famicom and as you said the super nintendo at the moment Awesome. It's funny that you said that uh, your first computer was a Commodore 64. Mine also was. My my sister got a Tandy 1000 for Christmas, and I got a Commodore 64. And when I when I first saw it, I thought I got ripped off because her her computer had more buttons than mine did, and I was like, oh man. Uh, but I loved my Commodore 64. What was your favorite game on the Commodore 64? Favorite game is probably Batman the movie. I absolutely I love you, that one. Yeah, it, it's kind of it's half because it's a great game and half for nostalgia, really, because it was bought for me as a Christmas present from from my grandmother, um, and I just remember that Christmas, which was nineteen eighty nine, really really well because I was so happy that I'd had this Batman game. And I don't know if you remember Bill, but it came in like a black box and it just had the batman logo on the front and it looked really cool um yeah i'd probably stick my neck out and say batman the movie for sure i absolutely loved the batman the movie game on the commodore 64 i like the the part where you had to um capture all the balloons um that was a blast and i i also remember vaguely i believe that you had to like get all these different chemicals in order to figure out what the Joker was, was using. Like yeah, you had to do some detective work there. And I thought that was really great. Yeah. It was one of the first games I'd ever seen that was sort of had little multi games within it. So it had like a platform section. Um, and then it had a couple of driving sections, didn't it? And then like a puzzle one, like you just mentioned. And I'd never seen that before. And it was the price for it. So, um, you work on uh, you've made quite a few of these books on average how how long would you say it takes you from start to finish to to get one of these that's out the door i guess um it sort of varies depending on the sort of size of the book obviously but i'd probably say about 6 months 
it's roughly around about three months sort of research design and getting it all sort of sorted and then it normally takes about three months for it to sort of go to the printers and you know proofing and all that sort of thing and then to be sort of ready to be sent out to backers or sort of people customers so yeah i'd say roughly about six months now how many people you have working uh on on the books or is it just you just me well i'm i'm so i i, I take care of all the design and i pull in uh, people uh, with different specialisms where needed so if, if a book, if I want to sort of have some pixel art in there, sort of like bespoke pixel art, then I'll commission a, an artist to, to sort of create that. And I work with a couple of writers, really, really good writers, and obviously proofreaders and all that sort of stuff. And also a photographer, a couple of photographers who I use on different projects. So I'm, I'm the sort of the main, main person, but then sort of, yeah, just pull in talent as and where it's needed. I, I definitely just looking from images on on the internet of the books, uh, the art looks really good. Even blowing up to the size that it, it like it seems like you've blown the art up to a really large size, and it it doesn't look blurry at all. Is there like some kind of are, are you recreating the art, or is it just like is there some other technique that you're using in order to make it look so clean, even though you're blowing it up much larger than it originally started out as? Yeah, so what I do is, um, I'm, it's a little bit controversial because a lot of people disagree with me on this, but I, I don't like um, sort of scan lines or anything when I'm looking at pixel art. I love seeing the clean lines of the pixels, almost like little you know building clocks, and you can exactly see how the artist has assembled them. Um, and that's what I try and get across in the book, and I think that's how that sort of crispness of the image comes about. Um, basically, what I do is use an emulator, and turn off all of the filters um, and anti-aliasing and all that sort of stuff. So you do get that real clean look. And then once you take a screenshot and get it into Photoshop, you can then enlarge it. You can make it, you know, a meter wide and it would still look as crisp as it did when it was small. Um, One of the hardest things is converting to obviously taking a screen image and then putting it into print is very challenging um, because you know, obviously you can't get the brightness of the colours, etc. when you put it into print and there's colours change and all that. So it's it's quite a lot of colour balancing and sort of fiddling around that goes on. But yeah, it takes a long time to get the imagery looking good. Um, but I think it's something that people notice and really appreciate. And I think it's what I'm kind of known for, I think, is the sort of the, the sort of quality of the imagery. So um, you're a graphic designer by trade. You already were that when you started doing this. Was there anything when you when you were doing when you started Bitmap books or when you started your Commodore sixty four um, book? Was there anything that jumped out at you and you were like, "Oh my god, this is so hard!" And I had no idea it was going to be like this. Like, what are the things that that drive you crazy about this? I'd say the design is probably the easiest part because it's the part that comes the most natural to me. Um, I'd probably say biggest headache about doing stuff like this is probably around things like copyright um it's a it's a very gray area and it's it it, you have to sort of invest money and time and be very careful around it um and it's maybe something which i was a little bit naive with at the start but over the years i've sort of come to understanding it but 
it's, it's, it's not enjoyable like the design is, put it that way. So have you run into real licensing issues that you've had to deal with? Yeah, so the only the only issue we've really run into is on our Nintendo book where I um, very stupidly used some graphics that I shouldn't have used. Um, it, it was in the Kickstarter campaign. It wasn't actually in the book. Um, and, yeah, I was really annoyed with my set. We managed to sort of resolve it between the two of us. And, yeah, it all turned out really well because the NES book got made. And, yeah, it... Got, it's been really popular um so yeah and it's, you're, you're even coming out with a uh isn't that coming out again with like a different cover i believe i read somewhere no so the cover um one of the stretch goals in the kickstarter for the nes book was um a lenticular effect are you are you familiar with this is that like the hologram thing where you look at it from one angle and it looks like one thing and you look at it from another angle and it's different um but it's like grooved plastic it's exactly how you described it and i originally had the idea that wouldn't it be great if when you moved it sort of mario jumped or you know zelda sort of link swiped his sword or something and um i worked for the printer on it and yeah it was a stretch goal um but no yeah that that is actually that came on all the backer books that lenticular awesome how many um or or not how many. How are you choosing which uh, video game systems that you're going to make the books for? The only real system I've got is that I'm trying to sort of do them in sort of logical order um, and also a little bit of chronological order. Um, don't know if that really makes sense, but I started with 64 and then really I should have stuck with sort of 8-bit graphics but i jumped onto the amiga because it just felt like the natural progression both being sort of commodore machines um and then i've sort of been back to um 8-bit with this with the zx spectrum and then um obviously the nes um, 8-bit and now i've sort of jumped onto the super nintendo um back to 16-bit but i think i would like to cover atari um as well um and obviously sega um, which I haven't covered yet. So to answer your question, it's kind of it's kind of whatever feels right, I guess. There is no strong logic or anything. It's just what 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 books sort of feel right to be next in a series. Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, which which of the books so far is is your favorite? All right, so we had a few technical difficulties, and Sam's rebooted his router, and uh, we were just we were just talking about uh, of all of the books, which of those books uh, really spoke to him, which one was his favorite, and you were saying it was the the ZX Spectrum. Yeah, that's that's correct, and that's really from a design point of view. Um, the color palette on the ZX Spectrum is almost fluorescent on the TV. And it was really, I did some color testing and it was really hard to replicate it in print. Um, So I actually had the idea of using fluorescent colored inks in the book. Oh, wow. And yeah, and it turned out amazingly well. I was so, so happy with it because it just felt so different um, to anything I'd seen before. And against a lot of the Spectrum games were black, had black backgrounds. So if you can imagine like a fluorescent pink against the black backgrounds of the characters of the game, it looked really, really cool. So 
I'd have to say the Spectrum book from a design point of view, but from an uh, from a nostalgic point of view, it has to be the Commodore sixty four book, just because that's that that was my baby, really, and and it, and it was the first book, so it's always be a sort of a special one to me. And I would I would assume that therefore the Commodore sixty four is your favorite console. Yeah, I I mean yeah I I love a lot of consoles, but yeah, I think just purely from nostalgia and my happy memories associated with it um i would say the commodore 64 see i was a kid and i i didn't know any better uh but this does not absolve me of guilt but i didn't know any better there was a guy who he had a shop a video game shop underneath the woolworth and you could go in there and for two bucks and a blank disc he would make you a copy of just about any game for the commodore 64 you could you could get your hands on so i was a huge fan of the i didn't realize what i was doing was illegal at the time um, but, uh, I had a huge library of games on the Commodore 64 and we would play a game and then erase the disc and bring the disc back in and another two bucks and get another game. And <laughs> it, it, you know, we like, we might buy the same game five or six times, but, um, but the Commodore 64, uh, I, 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 I'm right there with you because like that first time where you have access to uh, your own computer in your house, it's a, it's a pretty incredible thing. Um, are you into modern consoles at all? Or are you, are you strictly more like a, a retro gamer? Strictly retro, really. I mean, I don't really have a lot of time as it is. Um, and what spare time I do have retro gaming just suits, suits, suits that really. Cause it's more pick up and play. Um, and it's, it's where my main interest lies really. I don't really have that much interest in the modern stuff. Um, I am interested in the Switch. I've just bought one for my daughter, and I am going to start playing some of those more modern games on that. But that's kind of it, really. Awesome. And um, so what's your favorite uh, retro game, other than the Batman one that we talked about at the top of the show? Is there, is there one that you you constantly kind of gravitate towards? Yeah, that's kind of easy. It might be a little bit obvious, but it's Street Fighter 2. Oh really? Uh, who, who do you like the best? Uh, probably Ryu. And are you going to be getting the Street Fighter Two for the Switch? I will be. Yeah, yeah. I've I've heard mixed sort of reviews about it, but yeah, I'm a sucker for Street Fighter Two, and the fact it's two D and sort of harks back to sort of you know <laughs> the sort of the retro side of things by the looks of it. It um it it, it appeals to me big time. Now, uh, are you going to get an are you an arcade stick guy or are you okay with just uh, D pad kind of stuff? Well, I I used to play Street Fighter Two in the arcades, but it was always a bit. There was always older kids on it, and it was quite hard to get a go in my local arcades. And I was always a bit nervous about sort of having like fighting them because they were so great. They sort of whip your ass in about ten seconds. Um, but I was always fascinated with Street Fighter 2, but it was when it came out on the Super Nintendo when I got it at home, that was really where I just sank so much time into it. So really, it's probably Joypad for me where I'm probably most happy. Awesome. Uh, so I, I'm, you know, you just brought up the Super Nintendo. I'm really looking forward to your Super Nintendo book. Uh, for the list for the listeners, when does the Kickstarter end, and yeah. when does the book come out? So the Kickstarter ends this Sunday, this coming Sunday, which is the 7th. 7th, yeah. 
at 11 o'clock British summer time. And the book will be available. Uh, it will be delivered to backers um, November 2017, so this year in November. Um, we've already started designing quite a lot of it. Um, so once the Kickstarter campaign's finished, it will just be a case of sort of bringing it all together. And I've got loads of really cool things that are sort of not confirmed yet, but, you know, little added little interviews and features that I think everyone's really going to like. Oh, that's awesome. And so, all right, your Super Nintendo book, you're going to be working on it over the summer, uh, getting it ready for fall release. You get that thing out the door. What's next? Well, running running concurrently with the Super Nintendo book, I'm actually working with SNK at the moment on a Neo Geo book. Oh, cool. So, so um, I was put in, put in touch with SNK um, late last year and sort of talked about the idea of doing an, an official um, sort of art book. Because obviously, as you know, Neo Geo had such great graphics and art with its games and there's loads of concept art and brilliant box art and everything. Um, I love, I'm really quite excited by the idea. And so, yeah, we've been working on it for about the last sort of, six months. Um, and that's in the final stages of proofing now. And that's going to be released in the summer. And pre-orders are going to start for that um, in early June. Awesome. What's your favorite um, uh, Neo Geo game? Metal Slug 2, probably. Why we 2 and not 1? Just curious. I don't know. It's just, it's just the one I played the most, I think. <laughs> yeah. I think I think Metal Slug 1 was the one that I played the most. Um, did you didn't did you have a Neo Geo when you were growing no, up? No, I wasn't lucky enough. I had one friend who who had one. Um, it was a bit of a holy sort of grail <laughs> when, <laughs> when we were kids. Um, yeah, it was quite pricey, wasn't it? I not yeah, I think the games were like Weren't they like? Well, I mean, it was. I'm an American, so they were like two hundred dollars a piece or something, and, yeah. and the system was all awake more than that. But when you saw it, you were like, "This is some incredible stuff." The Neo Geo stuff always looked really beautiful, and they had really good sprite work too. Oh, absolutely, absolutely stunning! I mean, in our local arcade, we had an MVS cabinet. Um, that's probably where I played Metal Slug the most on 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 that in my local arcade. But yeah, it just, I mean, that book in particular, I mean, my, my love is always the pixel art and there's a whole section on the different games and pixel art like Last Blade and King of Fighters and all those sorts of games. And yeah, I've just been constantly amazed by the detail and the skill of the artwork in those games. It's absolutely stunning. Awesome. Well, Sam, thank you very much for your time. Is there any last tidbits that you want to let people know about? Uh, no, only just that, um, as you mentioned before, the Super Nintendo Kickstarter is finishing um, this Sunday. And yeah, um, we're close to um, reaching the next stretch goal, which will mean that each backer will get a set of five photographic prints with the book, um, as well as the book. Um, and there's also like a free bookmark in that you get as well. So I yeah, did. if you're interested, get involved in that and... <laughs> I saw the bookmark. Now, there was the bookmark. Uh, you you mentioned earlier that you 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 have an unpopular idea or an unpopular opinion that you don't really like the scan line stuff. Is, <laughs> is the bookmark? Uh, why don't you tell people about the bookmark? 
Well, the bookmark, yeah, sort of come around about my sort of hatred of scan lines. <laughs> I do, I do get asked quite a lot to add scan lines to my books. So, um, for those guys who want scan lines, I've produced a basically a see-through plastic bookmark with printed scan lines on top, so you can um, hover it over any image in the book, and voila, you have scan lines. There you go. <laughs> I mean. If that is not some brilliant problem solving right there, I don't know what is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for your time, Sam. Uh, Thanks, Bill. Thanks. Have a good one. Cheers, bye. So with very little time left, if you want to back the Kickstarter, uh, just head on over to kickstarter.com and search for uh, the unofficial SNES slash Super Famicom, a visual compendium. Oh, I can't talk today. Or you could just look at the show notes and click, and you will be greeted with a countdown. He's only got five days left as of recording this, and by the time you listen to it, he's only going to have three days left. So if you want to help him hit those stretch goals, and if you want to get the uh, the, the the backer rewards, just make sure that you uh, back the project before you are out of time. Whoa, nice graphics. I'd like to get my hands on that game. Well, that is all the time that we have for today. If there's a story I missed, please let me know. You can do so by sending me a message on Twitter at RunJumpStomp. You can use the hashtag AskSwitchCraft. You can send an email to RunJumpStomp at gmail.com. Include the subject line SwitchCraft. You can give me a phone call and leave a voicemail. That's 260-RUN-JUMP. That's 260-786-5867. If you're looking for a way to support the show, there's a whole bunch of ways. Just go to RunJumpStomp.com slash support. And you can click on the various links there. Don't forget, my wife is making Doc Socks for the Nintendo Switch. They look awesome, although I am partial. And you can find those at etsy.com slash shop slash runjumpstomp. Again, thanks so much for, for your support and to the patrons who've been helping me out. You guys are awesome. If you want to join the Patreon, just go to patreon.com slash runjumpstomp. If we get 50 bucks a month, we're going to get a fourth episode of Switchcraft every single week you guys are awesome i'm out of here goodbye